This week's episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Found Penny Studio. Found Penny Studio is exclusively fulfilling our Patreon Tier 3 merchandise perk by doing what they do best, creating to celebrate everyday moments like your favorite TV series. Check out Found Penny Studio's creations at foundpennystudio.com and find Couch Potatoes Unite on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash couchpotatoesunite. This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name, because babies, this is our valued and majestic modicum of nomenclature, and you should have adjusted to its melodious syllables by this time in the proceedings. Boop! My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com, as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like. For Couch Potatoes Unite, we're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU! Exclamation point. Hopes you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays, as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays, and as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panels and I live lives behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or the podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon Music, basically wherever you get your podcasts, to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including, but not limited to, Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, American Horror Story, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Charmed, Riverdale, Out Lander and This Is Us. Plus, new episodes are in the works, including revisits for Doctor Who, 13 Reasons Why, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Hundred, The Crown, Supernatural, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. We'll be launching new panels covering Big Little Lies, The Good Doctor, Call the Midwife, The Animaniacs, Killing Eve, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll thank the Golden Girls for being friends, we'll cry bazinga over Big Bang Theory, and we'll dive deep into the fantasy world of the magicians. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from bunkers, comedy shows, comic cons, and game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in these semi-quarantine times. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to the website, our YouTube channel, our Apple iTunes channel, our Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast format, fellow panelists and I still write reviews and we always 
we seek new panelists. So if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of those outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback. In fact, feel free to take over our social media accounts for a day with your potentially glowing missives. Just don't attack us like the crows at the red carpet premiere of Crows 3, The Crowening. Today, we're back around the virtual water cooler to discuss season six of cult favorite Canadian sitcom Schitt's Creek, which aired on cable network Pop in the United States. The final season, season six, aired from January 7th to April 7th, 2020, with a total of 14 episodes. Because we're covering the series' final season tonight, we will also be taking a moment to look back at the whole shebang now that all is said and done. To remind the listener, Schitt's Creek is a Canadian television sitcom created by Eugene Levy and his son Dan Levy, which initially premiered in Canada on CBC Television on January 13th, 2015. The series stars Eugene Levy as Johnny Rose, a wealthy video store magnate, and Catherine O'Hara as his wife Moira, a formerly successful soap star. The family loses their fortune when their business manager fails to pay their taxes. They're forced to rebuild their lives with their sole remaining asset, a small town named Schitt's Creek, which they had bought their son as a joke birthday gift years before. The story revolves around the family's life living in two adjacent rooms of a rundown motel with their pampered 20-something adult children, David and Alexis, played by Dan Levy and and Annie Murphy, respectively. Additional cast includes Chris Elliott, Jennifer Robertson, and Emily Hampshire. The show is based on a series of situations contrasting the once-rich family and their worldly big-city attitudes with sudden small-town living and the honest, down-to-earth, hard-working residents of Schitt's Creek. Our panel of small townies has experienced another changeover since our last panel recording, as one panelist departs the panel, but not the podcast, while one new panelist joins the ranks of returning panelists, Nick, Sarah, Josh, and Jordan. The panel in its newest form has convened around the water cooler to recap season six. But before we do, as always, I'm going to take a moment to take the panel's temperature because after all, as we all know, sometimes a TV show can take turns for the better or the worse in our heads or can continue its level of awesomeness or lack thereof depending upon story evolution. As always, it should be noted that all of our panelists have watched all episodes of Schitt's Creek and may discuss sensitive plot points, comedic situations, jokes, and quotes that may have the most and best impact on a first watch. So for those of you who have not watched any of Schitt's Creek and plan to do so at some point, listen at your own risk as there may be major spoilers. Welcome back panel and welcome to the new panelist. How are you? Great. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Are you ready to talk about this sadly final season of Schitt's Creek, the comedy of the year that won a crap ton of Emmys? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. How could you not be with that kind of rollout, right? Okay, so what I'm going to do is gauge your your reaction, if you will, less your interest, more your reaction upon watching season six along the standard CPU character question, which changes with each show we do. Because the final season tweaked our characters somewhat, so therefore did I in the character questions. So this is what it's going to do. I'm going to read the question. You're going to tell me how you felt about season six, particularly, of Shit's Creek. And this is how it goes. Oh, by the way, if you follow our Shit's Creek series, you know that Kylie engages in poor impressions. Okay, here's what happens. Do you think this show rocks? You love how the town is named after the mayor and that the end result of that gimmick provides the title for the show, which is so delightfully appropriate to you. Then again, you do not necessarily have a reliable internal measurement for what constitutes appropriate. Sure, the main characters can be a little grating, but you find ways to laugh at them in spite of themselves, and you just... (laughs) 
all around love the show, like Mayor Roland shit. Do you think this show is just a hoot? You feel sorry for the main characters at times, maybe Moira a bit less, but think their hearts are in the right place? In fact, you're willing to go the distance with them, no matter the pitfalls, like Jocelyn shit. Does this show make you laugh because you recognize it for all that it is? Sure, it has moments that confuse you in all the best ways, but it's ultimately genuine, and that means the most to you. In fact, it's the show's genuineness and sincerity that drew you in hook, line, and sinker. Oh, and probably your massive love for David as well, like Patrick Brewer. Do you like this show? You think it offers some surprises, or at least it surprises you, even when you expect not to like it. Still, it proved to be a great comfort to you during hard times, and you're ultimately glad that you stuck with it, like John or Johnny Rose. Does this show make you laugh in the most ironic way? You think the main characters are kind of atrocious, but you do have a particular affection for the David character that you just can't seem to shake, as well as for the series surrogate dad, Johnny. Plus, the family provides a certain support and comfort to you, even if you think that's kind of messed up in its own right, like Stevie Bud. Oh, oh my God. Like, okay, you could never openly admit you like this show, lest it ruin the publicity for your business, but there are highlights. Stevie warms the pretend coldness of your heart, and Patrick melts it all together. At the same time, there are some glaringly huge flaws. For example, there's only one passable wedding venue within a stone's throw of the town, and it's near a pork processing farm. And you think a makeover would be in the show's best interest, like David Rose. Despite the fact that you believe you could act circles around the rube staffing the cast of this show, and though you're appalled by the general state of the production values, you're willing to make the best of it because you're nothing if not resilient, not unlike the PR campaign for your hit Interflix release of Crows 3 The Crowning, like Moira Rose. Sometimes this show breaks your heart because it tries so hard, maybe too hard, but you still find small ways to go with the flow and laugh at it, like Ted Mullins. You think this show meant well, but you don't really know if you understood everything that was going on most of the time, or maybe you understood only too well and didn't find it all that funny when it came right down to it, but you watched to be supportive of your friends that watch it, even if you aren't sure that doing so yourself made you as happy as serving at and eventually owning the Cafe Tropical like Twyla Sands, or... You do not vote for this show. You think it's a waste of time and you're interested in more in Ladies' Night, like Ronnie Lee, or in recovering from Gwen surprisingly and devastatingly leaving you for the town clergyman, like Bob Curry. Who would like to start? I can go first. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Nick here. Hi, Nick here. I was rolling shit last time. You and were I'm going to stay shit. rolling shit. Okay. Because the show is sustaining the level of enjoyment for me and the season concludes in a really enjoyable way. It leaves every character exactly where I would have hoped without seeing exactly where it was going. So I'll stay with my least favorite character as my character choice. Fair enough. Welcome back, Nick. I'm Josh. Hi, Josh. Hey, Josh. I gotta say, in my heart, I think this show's a hoot. So I'm gonna, last time I was Patrick, this time I'm gonna be Jocelyn. And I think just seeing the whole thing wrapped up and feeling like this is a show that you could probably put on anytime and, and I would get some enjoyment out of. And I also, last time when I picked, I was thinking, gosh, I really love the David character, but seeing the, the whole of the show, I was like, I could even love Roland, just like Jocelyn. So that's who I am. 
<laughs> I love that analysis. Welcome back, Josh. Hi, I'm Jordan. Last time, last time I think I was Patrick and I'm going to remain Patrick solely because it is ultimately, yes, the show's funny, but it is ultimately the show's heart and how it tugs in your heartstrings without, almost without you knowing it's tugging in your heartstrings at times. That makes me love it the most. So Patrick is who... I'm going to stick with, and also we all know that I love David and I pretty much am David, so that's also a big part of my decision-making process. And in <laughs> fact, last time you, you included David in the description of your, your selected character just because, yes, Jordan is the real-life David Rose. <laughs> this is this is very true. <laughs> and if you, you know, know it's Jordan. funny, watching the show, I was like, I know David, but like, who is David? And now <laughs> as you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh. It was Jordan. It's <laughs> I me. I just like hadn't put it together. Even <laughs> now, granted, we're recording via Zoom, and even though we can only see the top oh. half of our ensembles, Jordan's sweater is very reminiscent of David Rose's wardrobe. <laughs> Fun fact: my setup is in my closet. It's like a cubby hole, and I'm in my closet. So if I were to like pan, you would see essentially David Rose's closet, basically. There you go. So welcome back, Jordan, or David, whoever you may be. Thank you. All right. I'm Sarah. Hi, Hello. Sarah. Hello. Hey, Sarah. I am married to Nick. That is the latest story, yes. He is married to me, so we're married. It is a contract. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's weird. I, last time, was Patrick. I'm going to go ahead and stay Patrick. I think Jordan summed it up. I think... This show's got a lot of heart, and that's ultimately, I, lo I love the relationships of the people. I think that's kind of what I'm here for, so I'm just going to go ahead and stay Patrick. I love that Josh picked Jocelyn to Nick's Roland, like they're a couple. That was cute, guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that warms the cuckolds of our hearts. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank and, you. And now we get to introduce our new panelist, who is new to the panel, but not to the podcast. New panelist, would you tell us your first name, just your first name, not your whole life story, yeah. and then okay. tell us how you came to watch Schitt's Creek, what made you start watching, how'd you find out about it, what kept you watching, and then choose your character or characters that best reflects your reaction to Schitt's Creek. Excellent. Hello, I'm Jana, and Hi, Jana. I came late to the Schitt's Creek podcast. Party. I have this like thing where when people are really excited about shows, I was like, yeah, that sounds like me. And I'm not going to watch that because everyone's excited about it. And so I always like am late to like bandwagon type stuff. So I actually just watched it this last year. I think I was watching the like most recent episodes, like right after they had come out. So yeah, but I think the thing that like kept me with it and I think says then who I am is is the the heart of it, the sincerity of it. And so definitely like feeling the Patrick vibes because it was, you know, the first couple of seasons you I think were like, I don't want to say funnier, but they were more like jokey. Like there was more jokes in them and it was like more like about these people in the situation like situational type comedy and I think as it got in and you got to know them then it really was you know all about the sincerity and the genuineness of these people and their relationships and the situation that they were in so that's what kept me with it and yeah and I do I have gone back and watched the occasional episode I'm like oh I don't have anything to watch right now I need like 20 minutes of ex escape of whatever and you can hop right in and feel all the good feels from from the Rose family all right well welcome to the panel Jana our resident 
other Patrick. We have a lot of Patricks selected, and I will not be different. Of course, my name is Kylie. I'm both moderating and participating on this panel, as is often the case. And last time I was Jocelyn and Patrick, I will remain Jocelyn and Patrick. My, my feelings about Schitt's Creek have not changed. If anything, they've gotten slightly better. But I, I hesitate and refrain from choosing to be Roland Schitt. So I will remain Jocelyn and I will remain Patrick because I also agree it's the heart of the show that really, I think, ultimately attracts viewers and keeps them invested and won over Emmy voters and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about the final season of Schitt's Creek, which is bittersweet to say the least, although I'm sure we'll have reactions to that. A lot of stuff happened in this final season to kind of get the characters to an end point, but an end point they reached. So tell me, what did you like best? What did you like or not like best or worst, if anything? Oh, good. Everybody don't start at once. <laughs> So it's I'll, either I'll, it's either silence or everybody starts at once. That's so what like, happens. Which one do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start off on this note. It took me back to first watching this show to watch season six because I had that feeling again of like having trouble getting into the show's rhythm. And until I was on board with these very big characters, you know, doing this sitcom -y stuff and dressing in a way like nobody I've ever met before. It was awkward. And I think it, I think it took until episode two or three until I actually started chuckling and enjoying and getting drawn in. I just had that experience of feeling like I'd been gone for a long time because I think I watched the first set kind of more as a piece and it had been quite a while since I had a Netflix subscription. But it was, it was a pleasure to then get back into it after that and to just enjoy this goofy little fun world. I can go with something that I didn't like at first and then I liked in the end. Ooh. Ooh, shaking it up on us. I got really upset about Alexis and Ted breaking up because I felt like they should be together. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I really did think that they should be together and I felt like there was such a build-up to them being together but then in the end I kind of liked it that she was realizing that she doesn't need a man you know because that was so big for her like she always was dating some guy and going to like a sheik's yacht and running all over so in the end I came around to it it felt like they were they had a big story that was about people coming together the David Patrick wedding that if they were telling that story of Ted and Alexis like being successful, it would have just maybe gotten overshadowed and that this was a story that there was space for that could be better told. Yeah. I really liked the fact that, I mean, first of all, it's the, the breakup scene is so beautifully done. It is so well acted. It's the script is beautiful. The the it's just it's so good. But I liked the fact that they broke up because I think it just underscores the fact that, you know, Alexis's journey. And that's my favorite. As much as I love David and we all know all that, but in terms of character development, story arc, where these people have went and where they, you know, where they started and where they ended up, Alexis is by far and away the biggest journey of this entire series. And so for for her to even have the realization that this relationship with Ted needs to end in order for her life to be what she ultimately kind of never even thought was possible for her, 
I think is just a huge arc. And also I think it just is the nice way of saying like, sometimes people come into your life to to teach you those lessons, right? And even though she loves, you love those people, you have to cut those ties. I just think it was really beautifully done. It really yeah. was. The other thing that I really loved about this season and it started off as like my, like I didn't like, and then I rewatched was like, there was some nods to older like older Shit's Creek jokes and it got a little jokey. And then when I rewatched it, the, the whole se- final season the second time, I found it really endearing because it was clearly very intentional to kind of pop those back in here and there. And I was like, okay, now I get why that sort of was inserted so that we're not just ending this this series that's known to be so funny. We're not just ending it on this like emotional note. So that that was my takeaway. I think they just did such a good job with being so intentional with so many things of a final season or final, yeah, a final season and and final, you know, ending the series. And I think, you know, when you have shows like this that kind of are like, you know, they could go on because it was super successful and people would have kept watching. But, you know, especially I think Dan Levy was like, this is this is the story that we're telling and it has this this arc that we're putting into it and and to go beyond that would like sully sully what it is and like you were saying jordan like especially with the the alexis character and i think even like david like they all ended up in places that were very unexpected from the beginning but also like the i don't want to say the exact opposite of what they thought they wanted in the first season but a little bit like, you know, you wouldn't have David wouldn't have been like, oh, I want to be married and like live in a small town. And Alexis wouldn't be like, I want to be single and in the city. And so it's like they all got and, you know, you look at Stevie too to be like, I want to be invested in and interested in the hotel chain, like not at all. So it's like that, you know, classic like trope of saying, well, you get what you need and not necessarily what you want. And I think they just did such like a brilliant job of of building that and having you feel like all of the people ended in in such like I don't want to say happy place because happy is such a fleeting like emotion but like a content place where there's growth from there and there's learning from there but they ended in a place where like as a viewer you can be like okay I feel like secure in your your position and whatever that might be afterwards and like you're saying too Jordan like they you know with these callbacks and stuff I just think that last season was so intentional in in the writing in the the mood and the vibe of it that it was just almost like it was just brilliant to I totally agree. (laughs) You really see a lot of the show, how much they love the characters and how much they trust the audience because there are like going back to Alexis and Ted, them ending up together could be a good enough ending for that character. Her looking for somebody different, like a different type of boyfriend and seeing that Ted is good for her, but taking it that next step is awesome. And same thing with Moira, who doesn't have the biggest arc, but I feel like had the most difficult time actually changing. They give her the opportunity to kind of go back into her career and she does get that back, but not, it takes some humility the way she has to get back there too, which was well, nice. She does it on her own terms too, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. is so different than what she was like doing before and with the crows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She, they gave her some really good moments with getting back into, I forget the name of the soap opera and, bringing that back. Sunset Bay, I think. Sunset Bay. (laughs) So I just enjoyed that and appreciate and love that they care enough to put the time into the writing to do both the characters and the audience right. It's important to note that most of the scripts were written by Dan Levy himself, on top of being the co-creator, executive producer, and one of the main cast of the show. And I think 
that's if you know his history at all you know that he was like on mtv in canada so that was a thing and this is where <laughs> <laughs> this is where we've evolved to and i i also love this sixth season and i love how i love the comments on intentionality because i also agree i think everything was plotted and planned but still had a joy and spontaneity to it which i think is what makes this show so relatable and what people respond to the most about it. I mean, there's a lot of quirky comedies that have come out in the past 10 years specifically. You can you can probably name a dozen off the top of your head. This is one of the only quirky comedies to feel as fresh and new as it does, even though it's based upon a premise that we've seen before and jokes that we've seen before. There's, wow. there's a, an underlying joy and not a lot of cynicism or sarcasm that that is its subtext and I think when you have that everything else just it plays a little bit better and a, a little more escapist I think than your normal comedy too the sixth season I think was brilliant they didn't and I'm getting like off like they didn't like use like people or stereotypes of people as the the comedic relief like obviously like Roland was was Roland and and often like you know the but but you never felt like they were making fun of him just to make fun of him like he was still like a whole person and that like you know he and Johnny obviously had all of their their things and that where they butt heads but in the end like I don't know they were still like real full people that you felt even even Roland I felt myself rooting for at times which <laughs> I think more yeah. this than ever I was yeah. looking for Roland. Mm-hmm. Like the first two seasons, he was just gross. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like please take gross. a shower. Please take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Always talking about oh it was just not okay. But I think he kind of went on a journey too, mm-hmm. which I like. Cause I can I don't want to speak for everyone on this podcast, but overwhelmingly he has not been our favorite character, I think would be safe to say. And but still I feel, true. I, I feel he's like still my least end, favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like toward the end I I got him more and appreciated him more i would have liked to see his son mutt come back just to find out what was going on with him i kind of forgot about him for a while because he wasn't my favorite either he was a little bit boring but it would have been nice just in the spirit of wrapping everything up to see where he ended up so mutt's on a different show (laughs) that's oh is he on now let me look you keep talking while i look that up you know there was a there was a character that was really poorly treated by the closing of the show. It might not have been everyone's favorite character, but I think who everyone enjoyed. And that was Bob. They oh, Bob was oh, the punching Bob. bag this season. And I, 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 can't, I honestly right. can't remember what happened to him at the end. And obviously he's kind of a jokey character, but I always really liked him. And then when I, I like made a bunch of notes when I watched this and I was like, wait, what, what was, what happened with Bob? They took him to the bar and he's depressed and broke, you know, just, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been fun if there was a like crazy yeah. wrap up for Bob. You know, it could, it could have been something really wild. Yeah. I don't think they did really wrap him up. I think it was, I mean, at least they gave him like that entire episode to be focused on surrounding that character. They did give to him something with, to do. Yeah. You know, you're depressed. Let's take you out. Let's make you feel better. Let's show you how to, you know, make you feel confident again. So at least they kind of gave the character something to do, I guess. But no, I don't think they really did give like a nice, you know, tie and a bow for Which him. Which is why he deserves a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go that far, Josh. <laughs> with this, with this crazy, you guys know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah. Wait, he runs into scenes? Okay, I would vote for a Ronnie spinoff over Bob any day. <laughs> Bob's on the Ronnie spinoff. Okay, Bob could be like a supporting character. He could be like the Rhoda to Ronnie's marriage, Heather Moore. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Perfect. What else? Um, well, I think that was weird that he and Gwen broke up. It was like, could they not get that actress anymore? And so they just decided to have her leave him. I they just could have they... shot around her. I don't remember what she looked like. Yeah, yeah. it's they like that one episode her. where they were like doing, like playing poker or something at Bob's. And that was like the only one she was in. So, right? She's in the first, and I only remember this honestly because I just got a friend into it and we just started rewatching together. She was this episode in the first season, I think it's the first. Yeah, mm-hmm. where Johnny, uh, Ro- Roland lends Johnny and Moira the cabin and they go to the wrong cabin oh, and it's right. Bob's cabin. That's and right. they walk out from, from the bedroom and Bob goes, oh, good, you're done. Yeah. And it's it's Bob and Gwen. But okay. I, that's the only time I remember seeing, actually physically seeing Gwen. I see. She, she was in the poker episode when they could accuse Bob of cheating at poker. Oh, yep. And Gwen yep, yep, yep. was like in on it and then Gwen got like mad at Johnny or something. Yeah. But I also think that during season five, they were intimating at marital strife, if I recall correctly. I mean, she hadn't left him yet, but there was a lot of... There was. He mentioned certain things along the way. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And then it turns off that in this season, she shacks up with the clergyman, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... Makes me wonder. We never did meet the sh- the Shit's Creek representative of the cloth. <laughs> so. See, like, which would have been like a a great plot for Alexis. I feel you know, fall in love with the priest. Like, there's a there's a missed opportunity. It's been done before, but but who hasn't Alexis done before? Oh. <laughs> So what about, let's talk about some of the main, you call them plot arcs. It's a sitcom, but there are arcs, right? There's character progression within the season. We've already talked a lot about Alexis, which I agree. I think I understand, Sarah, why you were kind of hopeful for her and Ted, but I also agree with Jordan. I thought that what was nice about that couple was they understood each other enough to say, I love you, but in order for you to live your best life, I have to let you go. And you don't often see that on TV, at least not in a non-melodramatic way, so I, I found that refreshing. I don't know where you want to start. We have a whole wedding planning season with David and Patrick, including some delightful situations, like, for example, David wedding the bed in his excitement for the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. That was so weird. <laughs> It was an interesting new factoid that they had not yet previously seated. So <laughs> I was like, was he never excited before in all the other seasons? But whatever. I loved the escape room because I like <laughs> escape rooms. But I've only been to one. So maybe I'm over really overselling that for myself. But I loved that puzzle game. And I thought that was per- a perfect writing scenario and a perfect setup to have Alexis be so good at it. Because she just did not care. It was like, whatever, it's this. Like, let's go. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> who is she? What yeah. is happening? <laughs> It was really enjoyable, and I also liked <laughs> that. I'm just laughing because it's so funny to me. David got the happy ending because he right. thought Patrick like paid for that. It's it's just so funny. I that made me laugh so hard. I laughed so hard because he's like, wait, 
like, amazing. He's like, Patrick's like, why would I do that? <laughs> on our yeah, wedding day. What do you mean? And he's like, so how they, would I know? <laughs> when they set that up, you, you saw David getting the massage and then like a close up of his face reacting to what was happening off camera. And then they went to like the B story. And the whole time I'm watching the B story, I'm like, oh no, this is like terrible. This isn't supposed to happen. And then, and then when it cut back, it was just like, just frustrating and move on. I was like, well, why did I experience all that strife for? I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> you were mad at the direction there. <laughs> I didn't know how to feel about it. I didn't know in this world what that meant. I see. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think Patrick knew either, but when he said, well, I just handed him a wad of cash and said to take care of you. Well, okay. <laughs> well, and it's a riff they play on throughout the season, right? Because there's also the reemergence of Jake, hot Jake, the, I'm going to, I'm going to assume he's pansexual. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just doesn't care, likes everybody. Oh, yeah. And the, and the guys think that, you know, he's, he's coming on to them for yet another threesome. Not unlike the one we saw earlier, but this time with David and Patrick. So it's funny though that their their relationship stands these you know these tests of do you want to do more than just what we've been doing? <laughs> like I happy kept getting nervous that Patrick would like get mad at David and break up with him. Like even with like the happy ending thing, I'm like, oh no, now they're gonna fight. But Patrick is like just the most understanding. Like, and he just loved David so much. Sorry, I'm talking... Patrick is the best boyfriend ever. For whomever. Patrick is the ideal boyfriend. He was so wonderful. (laughs) I mean... About it, I think David is for him, though, because, you know, like, Patrick had never been with a man before. And so coming out to his family and David was really supportive. And just, I mean, I don't know. That was just... That, That episode was intense but in just like such a wonderful way yeah that was a great episode jordan were you gonna say something or did sarah take the words right out of your mouth well i was gonna say something i was gonna say about patrick just like patrick's love for david just right down to the fact of when even though it's funny david wets the bed and david flips out and has a you know coronary and patrick's like it's really not that big you know he just I'll just put my sheet. What do you? And then, but then later put the rubber sheet down, which is hysterical. <laughs> but he could have very easily, it could have went another, like what the, what the hell is going on? And it just, it's another way of showing like just how well, how yin and yang they are. And it's, and it's showing you in a funny way. And I like that. I'll say it again. The trio of David, Patrick and Stevie are by far my favorite part of the show. I love all of the characters, but mm-hmm. I love the three of them. Probably because tonally they're they're right where I am, right sense of humor. David reminds me of Jordan, whatever. <laughs> All that stuff. But I just love those interplays because even when so sometimes Patrick is freaking out in front of David or vice versa. In the meantime, Stevie's in the background making sarcastic comments and smirking and laughing at their general discomfort. I don't know, that probably says something about me. But I enjoy that that three friends and one of the I think best parts about the finale is that after everything is said and done they remain together in the town they're going to be friends friends for life numeral four l-y-f-e in Schitt's Creek did, did anyone else just want to cry when Johnny was saying goodbye and he was like to my I'll come visit both my children and he meant Stevie oh my gosh I was like he loves her 
his daughter. Yeah, their relationship, especially in that last season, was, you know, again, one of those, like, really unexpected, like, gems. And I think, it, as we're talking about now, I keep, like, for, not forgetting, but, like, re-remembering, like, oh, yeah, like, That's how it works. their relationship, like, the whole New York situation and all of that. And you just, like, oh, there's, yeah, I, like, don't even have words for, like, the the perfection that I felt like it was. And you did they were just like the the synthesis that they all had together and the way it it worked was just really I don't know unmatched it was really amazing one of my favorite moments is when Stevie comes to tell Johnny that she wants to come back into the partnership for the motel ownership and he's been so supportive up until that point and he's like here's my book and I want you to explore and I want you to be successful and she finally decides that there's no place like home to borrow a line and comes to him and says, I want back in, and he's practically in tears. He's so happy. I mean, part of that is because he has to work with Roland, but otherwise <laughs> he's very, very happy that Stevie's back. So there's just a lot of really heartfelt moments that kind of catch you, and even if it doesn't make you cry, your your heartstrings are, are amply tugged. And yet they do it in such a way where it's not, like, overly, like, emotional. Like, so many of the things you're talking about, like, are huge, like, emotional things. But you never felt, like, in the show, like, oh, it's this big, like, you know, weepy sob fest or whatever, you know, because it was just so well-balanced. Speaking of not so well-balanced, we've barely talked about Moira. (laughs) So... I'm just going to say it. We predicted what was going to happen last time, remember? Remember? Which prediction were you talking about? (laughs) The the streaming service. I think like almost all of us, one of us said it first and I was like, oh, that was my idea. We all thought that. We were like, yeah, it's going away, but it's going to come back. It's going to be on some streaming service. That's probably what's going to happen. And it happened. So we're pretty, we're pretty smart. I'm just saying. (laughs) We are smart. (laughs) We'll go over some of those predictions for sure, but you're right. And we predicted it, but could we have predicted how it transpired from there? (laughs) I mean, we probably could have, but we didn't take it that far. True. Okay, Sarah. (laughs) Fine. I didn't expect Victor Garber, but he's basically in everything these days. Ah, <laughs> oh, what is that supposed to mean? Just that he seems to pop up in everything. Legends of Tomorrow, Orville, I don't know. He's just all over the place. So all the ones we podcast about, sure. I had, yeah. you know, it was noticeable that this season, perhaps more than any other season of Shit's Creek, there were named guest stars that you recognize, like him, like Saul Rubinek, who was the other big person that we saw. This is why I do the talking point. Oh, Henry Cherney, who played that guy that Alexis dated for a hot minute on The Rebound, who was, like, old enough to be her grandfather, that guy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> who is he? I don't know. Who, yeah, I don't know who that is either. Oh, he's like a big character actor. He was on Revenge. That's probably his most notable role. He played the Patriarch. No, not enough trashy sudsy TV in your life. I highly recommend Revenge if you're looking for a fix. It's a little older now, like it's from the 20-teens. I mean, yeah, the 20-teens. But you can watch it, and, you know, if you like Dynasty meets 24, that's revenge. Lots of throwing of drinks Uh, and... I was not that surprised to see Victor Garber because he is a Canadian actor, and he does go way back with, like, Catherine, and so, I don't know. I thought that was a a good one to bring in. Plus, I just like him. Love him. I love him. He was so fantastic in this little 
bit part. I actually just recently watched an interview with the cast and they talked about his table read. And he, he was, I think, still in LA and they just like phoned him in, like super low budget, literally on a phone, like not video, on a phone. And someone stuck their cell phone in a bowl so they could all hear him. <laughs> and they were like, and he, the, what you saw on the show is literally exactly the table read that he gave the, the first tape. Like they were like, that's just how good that guy is. He was fantastic. A, yeah. Him and Catherine O'Hara play really well off each other, too, with their ridiculous... Yes, Yes, they do. Was she in Godspell with him, Jordan? Do you know? Oh, you know what? I don't think so. I know Gilda Radner was in that company in Canada, and I didn't know if Catherine was in it, but... Someone, no, tweeted us at CPU Podcast (laughs) and let us know if Catherine O'Hara and Victor Garber were in the Canadian production of Godspell. Somebody's going to tweet us. Somebody knows. The Canadian, the one Canadian production of Godspell. The one that think- Victor Garber, Gilda Radner, Paul uh, Schaefer, Martin Short. Martin Short, yeah. It's a it's a very famous cast of people who went on to be real famous. Yeah, yeah. I'm not super cool, super cool with my Canadian musical cast. I'm sorry. I'm not even but- super cool with my American ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> Was the first production of Godspell ever? Is the is why it's such a big deal? I it was. Oh, it was. Yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, that we've nerded out that way. <laughs> I mean, it's only fair you're on this panel, and every like half the other people do the theaters sometimes or did. <laughs> so. I feel back to Moira. Okay. <laughs> I. <laughs> so as I was watching there, I jotted down like some quotes because I feel like it, this season was especially. Quotable. But, and I didn't write this one down, but I just watched the episode a couple nights ago and I laughed so hard. And I was like, that is so stupid, but it is so perfect for him. It was, you know, don't the, uh, you know, what we would say, don't count the chickens before they hatch. And she says, David, don't count the poultry before they have had the chance to, or before they have incubated. Yes. <laughs> I lost it. It is the dumbest line, but it is so funny. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about her outfit at the wedding? What? <laughs> you mean the fact that she looked like the impressive clergyman from The Princess Bride? <laughs> I loved it. I liked that her hair was like a part of the hat, maybe? <laughs> like I wasn't 100% sure, but there was like that roll thing. I feel like this, her, or not her hair, one of her weeks. Her, I also, names. I, uh, yeah, it looked like almost like a bowl cut around. It was an interesting choice. You know what I really like though? I mean, the wedding we can obviously talk about in great length, but specific to Moira in the wedding and going back to what we were saying about it being so well-written and injecting humor when things are getting almost too real, when she is getting choked up and emotional and mm-hmm. she says, now David Rose, will you take David? And goes back to the old joke of Maura never remembering anybody's name and David has to say, Brewer, <laughs> and remind her. I, it was just like such a perfect little moment to like laugh at and then go right back into the tears. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the wedding. I mean, I know it's in the last episode, but that is the inevitability of David and Patrick's entire season story. So I think last time we talked, I, we talked about how the season might play out, whether it'd be a full season arc to get to the wedding. And I think my impression at that time would be that that would be excruciating to then 
that we should that we should see the wedding sooner up front. But they definitely they definitely just made that the the cherry on top of the Sunday. And I was I was a little annoyed at the Alexis travel planning stuff up front. That seemed awfully silly to me, but I guess they just had to they had to do what they had to do. You mean with her transposing dates and months and conveniently transposing dates and months and then not being able to get another flight, even though Ted was able to get a flight back to have a conversation for three hours, but they couldn't have to be together for a month. Josh, you're not supposed to think about it that much. Well, yeah, that is silly. Yes, it was silly. But ultimately, I understand that structurally it was totally the right choice. It gave the season something. We got to check in on that throughout, and it gave us a logical place to land at the end. Yes, there were a lot of predictions about the wedding. (laughs) Several people did identify that it would be like one of the endpoints. Everybody was hoping for a double wedding, but Alexis and Ted broke up, and there was even some talk of maybe Johnny and Moira would renew their vows. That didn't really happen. It was really all about David and Patrick. I think what we need to talk about, though, is how the perfectly planned wedding went entirely the opposite direction (laughs) from (laughs) everything that David wanted by the end. (laughs) But then, you know, ended up being kind of perfect. I feel like that was probably really relatable to a lot of people wedding planning in 2020 (laughs) and probably felt like very, like, timely without the foresight of, like, knowing that that's how it was going to be. So props to them for maybe helping some folks realize that even the best laid plans and the most perfect weddings are can make make do and it's the wedding and the marriage that matters. Yeah, I think it all came down to they chose a pizza oven over a tent. <laughs> was, that the, yes. was that the thing that killed yes. it? Yes, <laughs> an outdoor wood fire pizza oven. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, I can't blame them. Like, really good wood fire pizza is... It was probably cheaper than the brisket they were trying. <laughs> Wasn't it brisket? Yeah. <laughs> I, the the wedding, I mean, I think, Jana, I didn't even think of it that way before, but that's actually a really good point. It is very relatable. But also, I think it's just really, it was another another one of those moments where it just illustrated the, how much these people in this town all care for one another. And at the end of the day, they all rallied together to make this day happen. You know, all of their closest friends in this town came together and pulled from everything they could possibly do. That to me was like the sweetest part of it, which it was, you know, it takes a village sort of kind of vibe to it and lifting one another up. I also just really, I don't want to get like too like maudlin about it, but I really do want to just underscore the fact that like as a queer person, I don't, I can't be sad enough how important the way the show was written, how important the way the queer characters are represented and how important the way they've never been mistreated. You know, I think it's just, it's important to note that. And it's especially with this, it's a wedding. It's a same-sex marriage. Oh, God forbid, you know, it's not a thing. And it never has been a thing in Schitt's Creek. And then to then on top of that, everyone rallying together just to make their day special without ever having to question that it's two men standing there. It's so special. And I think that, you know, I wish something like this existed when I was younger. You know, this is, that's not something that's, you don't, we don't see this on TV typically. We usually see violence. We usually see a stereotype. We usually see, or we see it being made a big deal when it shouldn't be made a big deal and it should just be normalized. So I just kind of had to say that piece because it's really important to me. And it's a huge reason why I love this show. But then one quote from the wedding 
that grabbed me and it had nothing to do with David and Patrick. It had to do with David and Alexis when she's there standing there and she's fussing about and they're like ready to walk down the aisle and the whole thing. And they're talking and he says to her, for what it's worth, it's something like I'm endlessly impressed by you. And that just, that simple little line I just thought was so beautiful and just showed how far, if you think back to like season one, like, no, you're going to get murdered first. No, you're going to get murdered first. And then just <laughs> at each other's throats. And then you see this final episode with her walking her brother down the aisle. I just think it was really, really beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I think their relationship is so special. And they kind of had a moment a couple seasons back where he said to her, like, no, I didn't know you were okay. Like, you were kidnapped in a trunk. And I didn't know you were okay. So that was hard for me. And then to now come, like, she realized he cared about her. And now he's seeing that coming from her. And I thought that was really special. I don't know. I thought, I, I probably cried during that. <laughs> I cried many times during this season. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also a perfect ending point because I think bookending the premiere, which is when they do go visit the wedding venue next to the pork processing farm. And all she talks about is leaving. And I think that's this is kind of the... the first bookend to this other bookend that you're speaking of when he's basically saying all you keep talking about is leaving like you don't care about (laughs) this and I you know I if you're gonna leave leave and I I think the evolution from first episode to last episode is everything about their relationship and more really it's not super articulate but I love the fact (laughs) that these two siblings find that equilibrium by the end and true love for each other you know they really care about each other and want to make sure that they're all right seem like that's another thing i feel like this show i just keep going back to like all the things the show did so well like you know so often with like especially you know comedies like this that are you know it's you know what it's half hour whatever you know focus on you know you look at friends or happy endings or whatever like these little half hour comedies and they focus on like one type of relationship or maybe two because you get like people that are in, you know, romantic relationships, but it's mostly like about like friend relationships. And this show like just went so much beyond that into the ex- exploration of, you know, sibling relationships, like a married couple and, you know, how they're, you know, you're looking at Johnny and Moira, like their relationship was so interesting and what that looks like. And there's with their grown kids and then the new relationships of Patrick and David. And so it was like, you know, diving into like each of those types of relationships And you would think, like, how can you do all of that in this short time period and do it well? But they did. I don't know how, but they did it really well. And so I think, you know, too, there's there was so many ways to relate to these characters. And if you're like, well, I can relate to this person because of my life stage or my life choices or whatever it may be or where I'm at. And, you know, I had where, you know, many times I was, you know, not in Alexis. I haven't been kidnapped on a a yacht or anything like that. But like that floundering of like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I good at? What do I want to be? So I think there was just so many ways that people could could relate to different characters and to the relationships that those characters had and kind of who was in their, their you know, universe. So If you want to get <laughs> lost down a really deep YouTube rabbit hole, find all of the interviews that the cast did with appreciative celebrities who also love Shit's Creek. I mean... Of course, the popularity has ballooned over the last couple of years, but just there's lots of name actors that were happy to do interviews with the four main cast, either as themselves or as some sort of off parody of their character. And one particularly enjoy, 
enjoyable one is when Mariah Carey kind of bombs an interview because, of course, Patrick sings a little excerpt of Always Be My Baby in his vows to David. and Which in, made me cry. Yes. Okay. In real life, as in the fictional character, Dan Levy and his character, David, both love Mariah Carey very, very much. <laughs> it was a whole thing because he tweeted about, I follow them all on whoever's on social media, I follow them. Essentially, she, she pops in for a surprise guest appearance and, and also tweeted when she found out that that was part of the show and part of the finale was was elated and he was elated to know that she watched it. <laughs> so if you like some good feels and some mutual celebrity bonding and you're kind of that person like me, find that stuff. Get lost down the rabbit hole. Can't go wrong with a Schitt's Creek rabbit hole, by the way. Also, there's tons of bloopers. Please enjoy. It's true. That one's really good. That one's, I think they were doing like a Zoom cast reunion as their characters for some like for a charity or something maybe yeah. That's they were, even. yeah what is extra good about it is the commitment to character because obviously noah and dan lavi are not in the same house you know right but as the characters david says like patrick why are you why are you not just sitting with me here in the bedroom where are you and he's like, I'm in the living room. The Wi-Fi is better here or whatever. So then when Mariah Carey comes in, Dan Levy like has a meltdown and like falls off his chair. And if you watch Noah's camera, he runs off camera as if he's running into the quote unquote into the bedroom to check out. I was like, you, you're, you're doing it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. I feel I feel so very, and I don't know him, obviously, as a person, but, like, proud of Dan Levy. First of all, I think he just seems like a really, like, quality individual. But, like, you know, he could have just, like, done his thing and, like, skated, like, you know, Dan Levy's son. And I don't know. And I know he did the MTV thing, but he did this thing, and he did it just so well. And I feel like didn't, hasn't let any of that Again, I don't know him at all. Maybe he's in, I don't know. But like, hasn't let any of that, I feel like, go to his head at all. And he just seems like such a genuine person who worked really hard on this thing and was really like passionate about it. And was like, I'm just going to do like the very best that I can. And I don't know. I feel like personally proud of him <laughs> for some odd reason. That's how I felt when they, when they won the Emmys. And especially when he won. That's exactly how I felt. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, why? I don't know him. Why do I feel this way? But I think it's just because... I think it's honestly just because, you know, if you're really into this show, you're really into it, like for whatever your particular reason is, and you feel a connection for whatever that reason is. And so it just was that, mo like, you feel like you know him because I think because of that, you know, you feel like an automatic connection. And I just felt like, especially when Annie, when Annie won, I just lost it because I think she's fantastic as Alexis. Her character choices are beyond brilliant and her acting is just wonderful, especially throughout her arc. Just so to see her to finally be recognized. Yes, the writing is wonderful. Yes, Dan Levy is wonderful. But to see her win, I felt almost like she was like my sister. Like I was like, I like applauded audibly in my living room as if she could hear me. I don't know why, but I did. I think we can tell that he's a genuine person and maybe that's why we like him so much. I just, he, he comes off very genuine and in interviews, he'll say like, I am not a trained actor. I'm not. I don't know how to do this. His sister, he's like, my sister is, she went to college. She's great. She's a better actor, but I learned how to produce and I had an idea and I told it to my dad and I thought he would laugh at me. And instead he was like, well, I'll play your dad. And it just went from there. It just seems like he's like a down to earth person who just is smart and good at what he does. So, And just in case there's any non-knowers on our listening base, sister was Twyla. 
Mm-hmm. Dan's sister. Sarah Levy. I love that they did it as a family. That too just like gives me like all like the warm fuzzies and like my insides. Like when I go to work with my dad and my sister, you know, my dad and my brother. Like, I don't know. I just think that's the most adorable Canadian thing ever. And I love it. I guess they tell Eugene to go away because he would stand off camera while the two of them were acting and like mouth the words along. And Dan had to be like, Dad, you can't do that. Like we're, we can't focus. It's so, so cute. Speaking of Twyla. What do we all think about her discovering that she's magically like a millionaire and never told anybody? I thought the money for the dresses to Alexis at that point. I'm like, here's money for the dresses I took. You thought it was weird, Nick? A little bit. It kind of seemed out of nowhere. And it, I think... Well, can I argue for it? Because I, I think it was actually thematic. Because what is what is the premise of the show? Oh, they had all this money. It didn't make them happy. It got all taken away from them. They went here in this new place. They learned something. Someone from this place got a bunch of money realized that that was going to make them happy and just kind of did their thing and was a pleasant person. I'm sorry, I cut you off immediately. I apologize. <laughs> that was all, that was great, John. When it happened, it felt a little weird. And I was like, oh, this is a misstep. But I, I did enjoy it. I, but there were moments I just felt like a cop-out for, for that character while it was happening until it kind of went through the story. But everything you said makes it make a lot of the, sense. The other thing is, if I was a server and I had to deal with these characters who are delightful, but probably challenging at time. One thing that would make me feel better about it is knowing that I had, what was it, $46 million in the bank. Yes, that it, that actually did help explain some things. <laughs> My, speaking of Twilight, I guess if we think about like any re, any wishes for the show that like didn't happen, I wish they would have, we would have learned, we sort of learned bits and pieces about Twyla about her random, weird, you know, family and some dark past in her family. But I kind of wish we would have explored that a little bit and just given her a little more to do. She's a sweet character. Her. She's, a, you know, adorable, but it kind of would have been fun to see kind of a little bit of that play out, don't we think? I, I thought her past was just a joke basket. And it was just, there's so many things behind this door. And sometimes we'll let one out and you'll be surprised or delighted by what comes out of there. And we will never run out of things that happen to Twyla that she will bring up casually. And, yeah. and for me, maybe there was no reasonable explanation that would have been better than that. Yeah, that's true. I did always think, and it was because I knew the actual relationship of the actors that I wanted her to have more of that familial relationship that Stevie had with the Roses. And she kind of gets there, but it's still like on the outskirts. She's not one of the main cast. Like there's each of the Roses has like Roland, Jocelyn, Patrick and Stevie, I guess Ted too. Twyla was like a little farther off. She was between your Bobs and your really ancillary characters that were funny. I would have liked her more closer to the main cast. Yeah, agreed. One thing I'd like to say about the Emmys that felt awesome was Catherine and O'Hara and Eugene Levy are like these icons, at least, I don't know, for me, from a comedy standpoint. And they really haven't, they've been, obviously they've had a long, awesome, amazing career, but they haven't had that like award recognition and that this show was kind of that cherry on the top there for them. Not that they better make more movies and stuff, but you know, the, the mockumentaries are hilarious and I love them and those two in them are so good. But they, they're these cult things, and it's so nice that they're a part of something that's really popular and getting, like, critical acclaim as well. Yeah, yeah and I agree. And dig into those Christopher Guest movies saying, oh, look, can you believe who's in here? And then find that they like it for this other thing as well. Yeah. 
And I guess like scrolling, you know, like my Facebook feed and stuff, and it's it's like things that Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy did before Schitt's Creek. And it's like, did you know they were in Beetlejuice? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did know that that she was in there. You know, for all for these millennials now who like didn't. I don't know. Right. I I saw that too. It's like I was today years old when I learned that Catherine O'Hara was a mom. I'm like, what? No, no, I've always known that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's crazy because Home Alone is one of those movies that a lot of people watch every year, so you should, I don't know, you should know who Catherine O'Hara is. <laughs> right, that, that's a bare minimum. Like, at the very, very least, that's the part of her career you should know. <laughs> yeah. And say what you will about the American Pie franchise, I'm just glad Eugene Levy, more people might recognize him for this than that. Well, that was the thing, too, because like, I knew him from, like, all the, the Christopher Guest stuff, and when I saw him, they're like, you know, the, guy, the dad from American Pie, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess he was in that, like... But I always remembered him from that because I thought he was so weird in that, you know, well, he's supposed to be, but. Oh, but he's also the dad fish in Finding Dory and they were able to animate his eyebrows as a fish, which I just think is genius, <laughs> like, all around. <laughs> okay, so not that I don't, you know, I don't mind kibitzing about their external careers, but let's get back to <laughs> Shit's Creek. Let's go over some of our predictions from last time. This Jan, I don't mean to leave you out of the conversation, okay. but you know, we did make a lot of predictions the last time. <laughs> we already talked about the wedding and we talked about the Crows movie. I know you all wanted to see maybe a full blown feature length Crows, but we did get a Six somewhat. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of the snippet of the Crows that you saw? I. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I couldn't tell if we were supposed to be making fun of it or if in the world it was supposed to be good and successful. Because it kind of has always been played as like, this is insane. But like, was it somehow insane in that right way where it scratched an itch? Like a Sharknado. Like there a you Sharknado? go. That's exactly, exactly what I think it was supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. Because for some reason people, I mean, not me, no judgment, but not me. People, people really like, I mean, that has a big following, Sharknado, and Sharknado 2 and 3 and however many of those movies there are. So I think that's kind of what the spoof was, like that sort of weird obsession we have with things that are so bad they're good. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I got from it. I mean, it was, the trailer though was exactly what it, or the snippet that they showed is exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous and in the best, the only way it, it could be. Yeah, I don't know, were you asking like from the show's perspective what it was supposed to be josh yeah like in the show was like a like were we kind of like laughing with her or, or in the show was it like she was getting recognition for her performance in a more traditional way or because for for the viewer of the show the crowing is just absurd and we kind of take pleasure now it wasn't supposed to launch her career because even the people that are in multiple sharknados i can't even remember their name and most of the people in Sharknado, the Sharknado movies, it's it's helping their career in that it is a fun, goofy job to do. But I don't think it's launching like Moira was trying to get right. back into her career. Yeah, I kind of thought that like, because remember, she was going to quit. Remember, she had made the decision to quit show business altogether. She and did. her mind was made up. But as soon as she heard it was being picked up, it reignited. So, like, I think everybody, I mean, Jocelyn thought it was terrible. You can clearly tell, like, other people thought, clearly thought it was bad. But they could see that for Moira, I part, I mean, her whole character starting off was depressed because she's all her friends left her and now her acting career is over and the business has spat her out and blah, 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 blah. So I think for her, maybe she does know it's not the greatest, but I think it's like, 
this is my way back in. Like people are saying my name now. People, my name's attached to something on this popular. You know what I mean? Like I think that's kind of what it is. And then on top of that, she gets the offer to go back to Sunrise Bay, which of course is probably we all we've seen snippets of it in the show now, and it's equally as bad. <laughs> like soap operas are. So I think that's kind of that's what I got from it anyway. Like everyone around her kind of goes. When they look at it and she's the only one kind of excited, I think it's just really that's the only reason. Like, oh, this might happen. I might actually get out of here now. And it isn't the movie's goodness or enjoyability that gets her that bump. It's the mishap with the crows and the the press stuff that gets people talking about her more where she's the linchpin in bringing back the soap opera. Right. Which wasn't intentional, but they played it off that way. Right. Did that answer your question, Josh? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. But that six minutes, right, or however much it was, I, I kind of wish we'd have seen, but I felt this way about Cabaret, too. Like, they need to do some heavy-duty DVD extras. That's all I'm saying. If people <laughs> still even buy DVDs anymore, Blu-ray, whatever it is now, I don't know. What are the Netflix kids using? Netflix is supposed to start showing DVD-style extras with their shows. Dear, Disney Plus already has. Oh, there you go. Dear Netflix, pay <laughs> the Shits Creek people <laughs> to make these things. This is all I'm saying. Let's see what else we predicted. Nick did predict that many of the characters would leave Shits Creek, which ultimately was true. Three out of four of the family members certainly did. And let's see, there was all, you predicted there might be a time jump, but it actually started right where season five left off with mm. Moira melting down in the closet mm-hmm. for a week. <laughs> and it wasn't until Roland burnt toaster pastry that wasn't supposed to be toasted. <laughs> Or whatever it was that she came out. Let's see. Josh predicted that we would have Alexis and not Ted because Ted was leaving for the islands. And then you commented on the ticket mishap. So that's real nice. Nick had a sort of dark moment where he thought climate change might sink the islands. I think you were kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But you said it so deadpan. If you go back and listen to the season five recording, Nick is too deadpan for that to be totally determined. (laughs) Well, there's nothing funny about climate change, Kylie. (laughs) I guess you're right, Nick. I guess you're right. Jordan predicted that David would have a lavish over-the-top wedding. Almost. (laughs) I mean, the idea was there. (laughs) Let's see. Jordan also predicted that Moira might get another acting gig, turn it down, and decide to stay, maybe to direct community theater. But then along came Victor Garber, and that plan was changed. That's kind of right. You were kind of right. She did. That is pretty close. I'm I'm impressed with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of right. She did. Almost what happened. Almost. I don't know, guys. I might have a gift. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah predicted that David and Patrick might elope, leaving abandoned plans later adopted by Johnny and Moira. But they kind of. I mean, they didn't elope. David would I... never really elope because the attention has got to be on David. Well. You win, lose some. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Nick and Jordan both predicted that Johnny and Moira would stay in Schitt's Creek but move out of the hotel. I actually was kind of surprised that they found ways out that didn't stick them to the town or the hotel. That Johnny was able to rejuvenate this business so much that he was able to home base it in California, apparently, and that Moira got to like be the actor she's always wanted to be in California apparently (laughs) 
I was really surprised by that too, but ultimately, I mean, I really, I really did think it was going to end up that they stayed, but ultimately it's so much more of a realistic ending and a much more fulfilling ending because how easy would it have been? Be like, we all learned our lesson. Guess we're staying. You know what I mean? And so instead of them actually getting what they actually have always wanted while also learning their life lessons and, and so on, it's just, it's better. It is better that way. But. And you, it left me believing that they would be back. They're going to visit not just, not just their son and the business, but the town in general. I think they'll swing on through from time to time. At right. least Stevie. It's very clear that he's going to visit Stevie. Stay in the presidential suite. Yeah, exactly. I predicted that Stevie would get out. She did for a minute to be a flight attendant for a Star Larry Air. airline <laughs> called Larry Air. <laughs> then realized the better, better life choices she could have made and came back. But... At the end, she's in charge of regionally traveling and setting up the many franchise hotels that they get off the big investment. So that's pretty cool. And Josh predicted that the Roses would leave their name on the town, such as via a rename of the Performing Arts Center. But we did get a changed welcome sign. <laughs> sure did. And Sarah, your wish for another musical did not ultimately come true. And I guess I'll just have to watch Riverdale another season. <laughs> oh, no, it's going to be there. Right? I mean, how convenient since you moderate that and they do a musical every season. So now let's take this opportunity to look back at Schitt's Creek as a whole. Unless there's any other words you want to say about season six specifically that we haven't already covered. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Taking as there are none. So what I'd like you to do at this point is grade Schitt's Creek. You can grade it with like a letter grade like you're in school. You can use the star rating scale or the star business as panelist Hillary calls it. Or you can rate it in whatever way is meaningful to you. How would you rate Schitt's Creek after all is said and done? This is an five everybody answer. Five stars. Okay. Out of five. Sure. However many stars there are. <laughs> the top stars. The top stars. The <laughs> most it. stars. Okay. I'm going to second that with no surprise there. And it's many reasons, but ultimately it's the writing. It's, it just comes down to how well written it is, the character's journeys, and the, the heart of this, of this show. It's not just funny, and that's what I think is the best part of it all. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I do think that the, the, the acting with the writing just throws it right over the edge. I, 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 don't, I literally don't think Catherine O'Hara or anyone other than Catherine O'Hara could have done the, the balance of Moira and the absurdity and still bringing those heart moments and you're still there for it without being, at least for me, I can't picture anyone. And then, yeah, so I, I definitely agree and I definitely think the the casting is, is so well done for this as well, including all, all the Canadians that don't have huge parts that just... Make it feel nice and quaint and just like this is a place you might want to stay. I don't want to run into the mayor, but. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at five stars, five stars, five stars. Yeah. I, I There isn't anything I could want to change about it. And I really think it's one of those shows that I will put in my repertoire of watching over and over, like The Office, Friends, Always Sunny. I just. It's just a happy show for me. Well, we can't all give it five stars, so I'm going to give it an A. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many pluses? 
No, no pluses, just an A. And the, and the reason why I think it's an A show is because I think it's a show that finds a way to really be for lots of different people without being a show that feels like it's nothing because it's so broad because it's trying to be for everyone. I also wouldn't give it five stars, but that's not because I don't think it ultimately deserves it. So when I'm thinking about Schitt's Creek... <laughs> First of all, it takes a little bit to get into it, I think. I, I remember that, thinking that, and I've tried to recommend this to people, and I get that reaction a lot from the people that I I say watch Shit's Creek. It's like, give it three to six episodes, and suddenly it will settle, and you'll be like, <laughs> and you'll laugh at all the jokes, and then you'll want to go back and look at the jokes. I don't think the humor is for everybody, but for whom it, it is and for whom it's directed, which is the broadest base, as Josh said, I think it's excellent. This is a rare diamond in the rough comedy. So I would be like four and three quarter stars. <laughs> I would be like an A as well. I also was given crap when I said it was an A and not an A plus on the internets. People are like, no, it's an A plus. I gave it an A plus. And I was like, an A is still a good grade, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? To piggyback on that real quick, I have a friend as well who I tried to get into it, and and she's like, I just, I just don't like them. I just don't, and she, and she's only watched like two or three episodes, right? If that. And so this is what I said, and this is what I like my reaction because for me personally, that's not how I reacted at all, like at all. I was in it literally from the first second of the show. But what I said was, okay, well, think of it this way: How would you be if the rug was ripped off from underneath you? If everything you had, everything you knew, was suddenly gone, you were spat out into a world you never known, would you be a nice person? Probably not, right? So, like, I that's how I think of it and how I try to explain it. Because for me, again, it all goes back to writing. There's a natural progression of these people that they all started out being extremely likable, overtly likable. Then it would be really unbelievable and really absurd. But because they're kind of not the best people in the whole, almost the entire first season, arguably half of the second, it makes so much more sense that way. And then we have so much further to go with them rather than it just being on one, you know, and being static in one note. And that would be incredibly boring. It wouldn't be what it is for six seasons. And it's I not... don't think that the they're not likable works in a post-Seinfeld TV universe. That's not... <laughs> for comedies, lots of comedies that are strong and smart and beloved and have big audiences are not based on likable characters. So oh, agreed. boo to your friend. Boo. Agreed. I, I was I'm just... A- Sorry, Nick. I was just going to add to that because Sarah mentioned Friends and The Office as rewatchable things, happy shows. But if you think about it, now you know how devoted to Friends I am. None of those six people are all that likable when you first meet them. It's just yeah, how they work. Re- they need to get to work. <laughs> yeah, they just drink <laughs> coffee all the time. <laughs> For example, or on The Office, with the possible exception of Jim and Pam, really, how many of those characters are, like, instantly likable? Come on. <laughs> I'll begrudgingly defend the people who, two or three episodes, it does it, it does take some getting into, but this type of format, you are pretty safe to assume that if you don't like these characters, you shouldn't keep watching because they're not going to grow. Because that's what this type of show 
that's the formula, but they do grow and change, and that's why it's such a good show, and, and it gets funnier through that growth, so you should probably watch four or five episodes before you decide if you don't like it or not. I recommend six. That's my standard stock answer. So if I hear I've watched two or three, I say, nope, watch six. Watch the first half of the first season and then report back to me and see where we are. And there's such short episodes, like you can commit to that. Like that's not a huge commitment someone needs to make. You can give it six episodes. You can watch Bridgerton in like two days. You can get six episodes of Ships Creek in before you make a judgment. <laughs> Shoot, Bridgerton is like hours, whereas six episodes of Ships Creek is two hours because they're 20 episodes piece. <laughs> so, yes. I think we're saying we recommend it because our ratings are high. Of course, I'll ask that again. So, is there any season that was your favorite? Is there any season that was your least favorite? Or does it all just kind of run together in one fabulous six season ball of hilarity from only watching it once i'd probably say season one is my least favorite because it really is the growth but i i feel like when i rewatch it i'm gonna appreciate season one a lot more is my prediction but i won't know until i do that so i guess season one's my least favorite yeah i've rewatched it multiple multiple times and i still would say that season one is probably my least it's, i love it but i still think it is my least out of all of them. And it's just simply because of the fact that like any show, it isn't quite on its feet entirely. I mean, it's great, but it's not what it ultimately becomes like any great piece. So that's the only reason why favorite. Now that we have season six, it's season six. It's so well-written. It's so well done. It's everything is so intentional. We get, I think, what we all wanted out of each and every character that it's hard. It would be really difficult for me not to pick that as my, my favorite season. I'm the same way. Season six is my favorite. Season one is my least favorite. Pretty much everything Jordan just said. Sarah's not. I don't. I don't. I can't really delineate between like three, four, and five in my in my brain right now. I have watched it a couple times through, but I I really liked season five and season six is my favorite. But season five is a close second for me. I really liked some of the things they were doing last season as well. Probably season one is my least favorite, but I think that I could almost say that with almost every single series that I like. It just takes a while for them to get really good, I think. Agreed. Well, I I only watched this season for the first time in the last week, and I watched all of the rest of it quite a while ago, and I watched it a couple times. So I don't really know. I think the arguments for season one are probably strong and probably correct. I kind of weirdly have the opposite of what Sarah just said, where I don't like the later seasons of shows. And I'll oftentimes like watch until the point where it starts to turn for me and then start at the beginning again. Any Office fans almost certainly do that. But I, there, I don't feel like this show has that obvious point where it's like, oh, this is where I was over it. So probably what everyone said is correct for me as well. All right. Yeah, I I watched them all like back to back to back. So like the seasons don't mean it was one big movie <laughs> that I watched. <laughs> one um, big ball but, of hilarity. Yeah, yeah. But no, I definitely, I mean, besides I like did love the cabaret and like stuff, like it was great. But I think season six, just because it, it was the culmination of, you know, so much, so much growth and build up and you got to see kind of how, where those characters ended up and then get to imagine where they go afterwards. So it was the best for me. Was the series finale a proper send off for our characters? Yes. Yeah. 100%. That's a lot of nodding and 100%. I, there's... It's rare that I will call a series finale 
perfect, but I think that the Schitt's Creek series finale was definitely perfect for Schitt's Creek. With the Bob exception. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he was at the wedding, wasn't he? Do we need to know? Bob will find a way because he has the Schitt's Creek people in his life and he'll find a way past Gwen. Really, Gwen was, what was she? Just made some food for him a lot anyway. Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Do you think Shit's Creek would hold up with the passage of time? Why or why not? Was it time for it to go? Or would you have watched more seasons? Or should it have ended sooner? This is a big question, but Shit's Creek could have a big answer. So what do you think? I'm so happy with how and where it ended. And I feel pretty confident and comfortable with the rewatchability that I'd, I'd hate for it to, as Josh say, just drag on like The Office. <laughs> oh, it certainly didn't need any more from my perspective. <laughs> did, did folks watch the Netflix kind of like 50 minute documentary thing that yes, they did? Yes, I did. Did I cry uh, the whole time? Yes. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. talked a bunch about, they talked about two things I thought were interesting. They were like, we kind of had the feeling like we could just keep making this show for a while and like people would be fine with that and we would have work, etc. And I also was, I don't tend to like things to go on so long. And I was like, did they need to make this? Were they milking a wedding for a whole season of a show? And so it, it did kind of make me feel like it was probably the right thing for the audience of the show to make this season. And it was probably the right thing for the show to stop now. If they had decided to do three more seasons and we were recording this three years from now, I probably would not be a Jasper. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I Yeah, I agree. In my, you know, when it was announced that it was fi- going to be the final season for season six, my heart ached a little bit. But I, it, it, it didn't take me long to realize that this really is the best way for it to go. Because like everyone just said, I think we've all been seeing shows that we were a huge fan of that went way too long and it starts to get absurd or it just takes such a turn that it almost isn't the same recognizable show anymore. So what else could they have possibly done? Right. It was, it was the right time for it. And it's great that they realized that and, you know, wrapped it up nicely in terms of rewatchability. I actually was just watching an interview with the thing they did for, I don't know quite know what it was. It was an actor's fund, something, something. Jennifer Gardner was the, the moderator. And she said something that was interesting that it didn't even cross my mind, which was quarantine and Corona and how these people are forced, you know, forced to be on top of one another. You know, yes, they can go outside, but they're basically a forced, it's a forced way of getting to know your family. And these are parents and children who really didn't even know each other, honestly, into well into adulthood. And this situation is causing them to actually bond and to actually learn from one another. And that's something, a layer I didn't even think about, which is interesting. And we're, we're going to be dealing with what we're dealing with for, I think, for quite a while. So I think that actually adds to the rewatchability when people, new people get into the show, that's a layer that they could recognize, like, oh my, you know, seeing that and they can recognize that in their own lives. And it's just flat out funny and it's feel good. So I think any show that's flat out funny and feel good is rewatchable. If it's done well, it's written well, and it's acted well, you're going to want to go back and watch it. I agree. I think this is like a Friends. I mean, I think, and by, by that, what I mean is, It's an ensemble comedy that even though it has its place in time and it's set in that place in time, the fact that the relationships are so well nurtured and so well formed and evolve so well over the course of several seasons, even though it's set in 2010 whatever, it doesn't matter when you revisit the show. You're still going to find that element of relatability just like 
a bunch of younger people are finding friends and that's now 25 to 15 years old, depending upon where you find the series. I think Schitt's Creek will be like that. Has it enjoyed the same mainstream popularity? Maybe not until this year, but I think more and more people will discover it, especially because it's been so well popularized now over the past couple of seasons, and I think they'll find just as many laughs as those who've been with it since the beginning have. And I don't know if there's a better testament to a sitcom, actually, but that's kind of really what you're going for. And it did end at the perfect time. I, I think they made a very smart decision, and actually sticking to it makes me respect it that much more. Especially in an era where people are rebooting and reunions and revisits all the time. So five years from now, they could decide to do a special if they wanted to. And I think the audience would be there. But I just think Dan has gone on record saying they don't want to stay too late at the party because things will start to get stale. And they had a very specific timeline mapped out for these characters that they really wanted to stick to. And I think, I mean, as far as rewatchable, I think it's pretty timeless. I mean, yes, they have cell phones and a streaming service and they talk about social media but other than that it could be any time and place really it's it doesn't it's not really too pigeonholed and I think people will continue to watch it I hope it stands the test of time like a little bit better than friends even like going back and watching like friends episodes and I've, I can probably say it for any but like you know some some of the jokes just feel like really off and really like discolored and stuff now and you're like gosh Ross was kind of a dick I mean I thought that at the time to be fair Ross is a creep <laughs> yeah for sure but you know there's a lot of like homophobic jokes and like trans jokes and stuff and and so I hope like with Shits Creeks and what I think you know and Jordan talked about this earlier and so eloquently too like that it's the start and not even the start, but like a piece that can be like put up there as look how well this worked. Like there was, you know, David and Patrick and their relationship and their marriage. And even like when David comes into like this small town, like him being a homosexual male, like wasn't even a thing. Like it wasn't like one of those things that they had to like overcome. I mean, they commented on like how he dressed and stuff, but that was more like because of how David dressed sometimes versus like, you know, him being a gay man. So I hope that people can look back on that again too and say like, okay, like it was normalized because that's that's life and, and that should just be what it is and that that can be like a trend moving forward that having a David and Patrick isn't like something that characters need to overcome all these obstacles to be like but can just be can just be important distinction david's actually pansexual because sometimes he likes white wine and sometimes he likes red wine (laughs) (laughs) which is the label it's not yeah he doesn't need the label it's the at the label yeah exactly so i mean sometimes i do choose my wine by the label versus like it being red or white but that's because i just like really pretty wine labels sure sure fair enough (laughs) which maybe says more about wine than about my choice of like partners (laughs) but for those still struggling with the definition of pansexual please look up the wine metaphor because it was brilliantly written and executed Mm -hmm. I want to know if Jana has tried the Herb Ertzlinger fruit wines. Moira Rosé. <laughs> like, just the thought of it curdles my stomach a little bit. <laughs> Banana but wine I would is, shop at Rosa Apothecary. So. Banana wine is horrifying. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> How do you get herb, wine herb out of a banana? Herb Ginger. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. That was also a very fun episode, even though it was kind of one of those side trip episodes where it was basically just Moira and David getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, 
that's what I meant earlier when I went, that was one of my initial reaction was like, this is kind of hokey and this is kind of, but then I like, when I rewatched it, I realized like, if you go back and rewatch it, it has a nostalgia feeling of the earlier season because it's the throwback to they're at the winery. It's the herb, and she never can say it. And there's all that there. But that it also is, is, it actually is a really nice mother-son scene. And so it's wrapped in this like absurd thing, but they really do have a really big heart-to-heart and there isn't many of those Especially because you learn throughout. later, like, they've had such kind of a weird, I think, I can't remember what season that was, four, five, maybe, like, where they have, her and Moira and David have always had kind of, like, a strange relationship. So, when you get that, like, moment, I don't know, like... Yeah, it's, it's, it just makes it sweeter. Always paired together in the first earlier seasons. Mm-hmm. They were always, it was a dynamic with them, like, folding in the cheese and all of those episodes. But then they kind of got away from that because Patrick came along and some other people, like, other people from Moira, like the Jazzigales. So, it was a nice <laughs> little circle for them to be back together. Right. And all of the just things... All the fruit I didn't know you could make wine with. Maybe you can't. I don't, I don't think you can. I don't think you should. Even if you can, you probably shouldn't. I think the general verdict was it was all crap. <laughs> so, even when they tried there, to... There was one, but then they lost they it. They lost there. it. Yeah, there was never finding that again. Josh, did you want to say something like 10 minutes ago, or did we kind of cover it? My, my lost thought was <laughs> when we were talking about you know, maybe we could have more of this later, even though we stopped at the right time, is that this would be a good show to, three years from now, have a Christmas special. Agreed. They already had one. Mm -hmm. That actually would be an excellent idea and wouldn't be like a hokey reboot thingy. So, yes, agreed. It could be David and Patrick's adorable little house because, you know, it would be super cute at Christmas time. We can call it What About Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Find out what happened there. TM. I think somebody else has got that name, but okay. So and banana wine is very real. <laughs> I don't if it even ferments, I think you can make it into a wine. But you should isn't Jana just said, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Again, like picturing them like pressing the bananas and You know, that sounds like a lot of label judging, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't all be David. <laughs> so. Listen. So let me get through the kind of the standard looking back questions and then we'll have appreciated Shit's Creek as much as we're going to appreciate. I got to ask you the creator, the creator question. This is a bookend question that we ask and a first look and a looking back. So Eugene and Dan created this show, although let's just be real, it was mostly Dan. And this was the first time they created together, although Eugene has created Maniac Mansion, apparently. Would you watch anything else that Dan and or Eugene create? Why or why not? Okay, if you're not a follower of a creator, you can say that. But some people do. This is an instance where I would follow Dan Levy. I, I'm One of the reasons I watch the show is just because Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara were in it. So whether they created it or not, I was on board to give it a try because of that. But I trust, I trust Dan Levy to make a good show and to, to care about it. So yes, I would be interested depending on what it was about. I, I would definitely at least consider it. If not, definitely try it. Definitely. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. That's my answer. Yeah. I don't usually follow creators around, but I would watch anything they came up with. I'd at least give it a chance. I just think they're so fun and funny and just, fr- it's like a fresh voice sort of and i'd give a shot why not 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> Josh yeah. nodded. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect them to necessarily capture the lightning in the bottle, but I would certainly be interested. And I really appreciated your factoid about Eugene Levy being involved in the production of Maniac Mansion, which is, I think, an unwatchable show, but one that I do have fond memories of. <laughs> Fair enough. I would, I asked this question because I will follow creators. Like I've used the examples of Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams and Ryan Murphy. I mean, I'm probably going to check out what those people make because they've made a lot of good stuff. Dan Levy and, of course, Eugene. Eugene is like trustworthy city from, I don't care about Maniac Mansion, but if he came up with something else, I'd show up tomorrow. The same with Dan. I think together or separately, they've earned their stripes with Shit's Creek. And you're right, they're probably not going to reproduce the same lightning again. You never really can because the variables will be different. But I would gladly check out anything else, especially if it's written by Dan, because he wrote the majority of the episodes of Shit's Creek. I think it's reflective of both his creative impetus, his sense of humor, and just really a really intelligent comedic writer and i hope that he tries again <laughs> i really hope he does i'm pretty sure that i read that he signed a big deal like with netflix or I i'm 99.9 percent .9 positive that that i read that i don't know what that entails but similar to ryan murphy ryan murphy is like the largest contract ever and it, it, there's no it's just nondescript you so but i'm pretty positive that dan levy has it done that like abc studios is who the deal is with i'm just yeah. going off of the very first google search result yeah so i know for sure that they'll i mean there'll definitely be something coming for sure well keep your eyes and ears open i know i will would you follow any of these cast so okay dan was also writer actor would you follow the cast members to other tv projects now granted eugene and Catherine o'hara and chris elliott those three particularly have had storied movie careers of there's i'm sure a handful of movies and or even tv shows that we can name for those three but would you follow any of the people including the hitherto unknown people or the exclusively Canadian people to other projects. I don't think I, I would feel like I have to follow anyone. I think it would be neat to see them show up in other Canadian comedies, but... Specifically? <laughs> <laughs> Not USA funds. No, keep, keep, keep them north of the border. No. <laughs> I Canada. mean, I don't want them to take our jobs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> I personally want to know, I would really want to see Annie Murphy again. I would too. Specifically. I think that she's fantastic. Also, this is her first big gig, similar to Dan Levy. And she really, really proved herself. And I think that she probably is going to have a really big career. I hope I, so. I, yeah, I, I feel like it, I'm sorry. It can go so either way with like an Annie Murphy type of person, you know, who got this like, you know, in her whole story of she had like $8 left and was like totally going to quit acting and go home and then got this gig. And so it's like she's either going to get pigeonholed and like not find whatever that next thing is or she's going to like totally blow up and be amazing and be awesome. And I I hope it's that one. I think one of the things that will help her career is all the interview stuff where you see her like because it's so popular. You see her as herself. And I think a lot of people might have thought, oh, she's just kind of playing herself is what they would have assumed because she's doing it so well. And that's definitely a type of person that we've seen but no she's doing a great job on this show yeah 
Yeah, she's nothing like that character, and that's really a big testament to her, for sure. I mean, I think we need more Catherine O'Hara on TV. I just want to say that. I love her. I've loved her a long time. She's great. Moira. <laughs> <laughs> she's an international treasure. We've talked about this multiple times on this podcast panel. And, you know, we've, we've, we've had all the different... We've had the Christopher Guest movies, the Beetlejuices, the Home Alones... Schitt's Creek was was a nice stretch back into small screen, and I hope she finds another role that is equal to her talents, like Moira Rose, without being Moira Rose, because that would just be boring. But I would follow I her. I usually follow people, but <laughs> I mean, not usually. I feel like she's podcast. Yeah, I don't feel like I need to follow Catherine because she's just everywhere, and like I already watched her before this but i will say that i watched the movie with dan levy this christmas the happiest season i think it was on hulu i mm-hmm. only watched that because i was like oh dan levy's in this and i never do that but i was so excited to see his face i felt like he was a friend and i'm like oh i'm gonna watch this it was a good movie by the way check it out i will say though you know those pop-ups one of them has already happened ronnie is in an episode of, is it was it Discovery, Sarah? Discovery. Yeah. Discovery, she popped up and is nothing like Ronnie, and it's awesome. That would be Star Trek Discovery for those of you who are looking blankly at the others. (laughs) It's disco. I mean, come on. (laughs) Should mention Sarah and Nick are on our Star Trek 50 Plus series panel along with me, and the other three would never be. (laughs) What? Josh is a big nerd. For Star Trek? I don't know. The next generation. <laughs> so there's a quasi nerdness there. I liked the light flares in JJ Abrams' last reboot. So <laughs> oh, that's very specific. <laughs> well, good. I mean, there was a lot of them, but sure, I was like, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> when people talk about Star Trek, that's what they're referring to. The light flares. The light flares. <laughs> well, good. I do like Chris Pine, though. Chris well, Pine who fan. doesn't? Sure. Who doesn't? He's in Wonder yeah. Woman, too. You can see a lot of Chris yeah, Pine. Yeah, you can see a lot of Chris Pine in Wonder Woman. And <laughs> Into the Woods, he sings. Hello. That's right. Into the Woods. He was, He did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now I have, because Couch Potatoes Unite must show some responsibility to its listeners as the presumed and what we call ourselves experts of television Although I think the answer was pretty apparent from the ratings. Would you recommend Shit's Creek to others? Why or why not? And you can be as brief or as lengthy as you want because we have covered some very nice things today. Yes, I would recommend it. And specifically, Spencer, try again. (laughs) Spencer, I hope he's listening. Yes, we have our grumpy, allegedly token Brit friend named Spencer who does our superhero panel amongst others and apparently could not get into Schitt's Creek. Grumpily and is he vocally. allegedly a friend or is he allegedly British? After his opinions on Shit's Creek, he's allegedly a friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but is he for real British? He's for real British. Okay. Yes. <laughs> he's played Sherlock Holmes on stage. He's British. Okay. I mean, that's not true of everybody. <laughs> Spencer's sense of humor is not conducive to Schitt's Creek necessarily. Although when I, if he's listening, I hope, when I next talk to him about it, I'm going to compare it to Monty Python, only Canadian, and see what happens. 
It's got the absurdness of Monty Python with all, all the stylized sketches. Just think about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you say so, Kylie. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to make it worthwhile. So Nick would recommend it to Spencer. Anybody else? <laughs> I of course I would recommend this. I have I have recommended it to so many people. And I'll be brief, but just to kind of underscore what I said earlier, it's the comedy, it's the writing, it's the heart. And from a queer person's perspective, the it cannot I cannot state it enough, the importance of this show to normalize. Just be, you know, human and to not think of it any other way. It's really done beautifully. Yeah, I would recommend it. I did recommend it. And it's you, Jordan? No. Yeah. Yeah. To me. You showed me the scene of folding cheese and you said, who does this remind you of? And Jordan was there because he was doing our hair. We talked about this the last time. And I was like, oh my God, that's Jordan. (laughs) My camera froze for some reason. So now you get to stare at an eight by 10 of me. Isn't it cute? recommend yeah i would recommend it to people i have recommended it to people who've later been like yeah i've never had anybody that i recommended it to tell me they didn't like it so you're welcome Shits creek send me <laughs> a, i guess <laughs> i i would recommend this show i think i think we've i think we've talked about all these reasons spencer do the right thing man don't, <laughs> don't be that guy you don't have to be it's your choice He's usually that guy, though. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Jana? Yes, highly recommend to Spencer and anyone else that's unsure. Fair enough. I also will and have. I have my whole family, quite a large part of my circles of friends that weren't already watching it. I basically said, you need to sit down and watch this. Give it six episodes. Because I did get a little flack back at first from a couple of them like i don't know this isn't as funny no keep going keep going it definitely lands and then it makes sense to you and you like it or you just are spencer and i don't know what to say (laughs) so and he's gonna be so happy he's the running joke of our episode (laughs) at this time i think we've covered a lot but always these looking back ones we want to make sure we get in is there anything else you want to say that you haven't already said whether about season six or the entirety of Shit's creek in general no all right <laughs> <laughs> i'll chime in and say no all right well awesome i think we have covered Shit's creek very thoroughly and very comedically i hope and what i'd like to do at this time is thank josh and Jana and sarah and nick and jordan this is the not the panel that started with us but it's the panel that ended and really that's okay because that's sometimes how tv works thank you for joining us to talk about Shit's creek we hope you've enjoyed it and we're gonna roll the credits you know how this works. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point! was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piette. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast, and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kaus played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website, and we're now on Patreon at patreon.com slash couchpotatoesunite. If you really love us, pledge your support by becoming one of our United Couch Potatoes as we grow our little sofa-populated corner of the world. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book, by email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, our Patreon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point. Or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and our Patreon to stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, All of Shit's Creek is currently available to stream on Netflix, who should reward loyal viewers like us for our constant mention of their name. Although, they're kind of losing the streaming wars, so Netflix, you're on notice. In the meantime, if you have nominations for shows we should cover on our podcast, including any series like Schitt's Creek, contact us via social media or our email. You can volunteer to be a panelist, too. In the meantime, and until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening. Keep watching.